Good morning, everyone. I know you just uh, uh, sat down, but I'd invite you to stand one more time. I have you do this every time uh, I preach, so you just get, start to get used to it. I have everyone stand every time we read the passage. In an Eastern context, you do this for two reasons. One, it distinguishes your voice from the Word of God, from God's own words. And so that's a good way to be able to show the difference between the two. Um, and so uh, we have you stand for that reason. But also in an Eastern context, when you approach the Scriptures, you also recommitted yourself to God. You recommitted yourself before you approached the scriptures, and they did this in the form of a prayer out of Deuteronomy 6. So I'll have you say it with me. And they did it with passion too. So we're going to do it with a little bit of passion this morning. We are, we are coming to God. We are saying we are about to approach your words with full confidence and full joy. So repeat after me this prayer. A hero Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart with all your soul, with all your might. Amen. Amen. These are the very words of God. Hebrews 13, starting in verse 1. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? You may be seated. Amen. This morning, the question of the day was, what is your least favorite house chore? And for me, this isn't even a question. Uh, if I heard, I heard someone ask me this once and it just, I, I could answer it immediately. My f- least favorite house chore is doing the dishes. I hate doing the dishes. And I don't really know where it comes from. It's not like I had a bad, like, suppressed memory growing up and so I just don't like doing it. It's just, I don't know, the bubbles, the wet, standing for a long uh, time. It's slow. It's monotonous. I don't know what it is. Actually, I do know what it is. It's all those things. I don't like washing dishes. Now, in fact, um, Kathy Duff, she often jokes with me at every luncheon because I, uh, I forget to register for the luncheon. I like literally print out the registrations, but I don't actually put my name on. I just forget every time. And she jokes with me every time that if I forget, she's going to make me do the dishes for the entire luncheon. We're having one uh, downstairs. That would take, well, she doesn't have any idea how bad of a punishment that would be for me. I just don't like doing the dishes. And when you figure, when you don't like doing the dishes for long enough, you begin to develop methods for avoiding doing the dishes. There's these little tricks you begin to learn. And I'm seeing some of you looking at your spouses right now as if I know what's going on. You learn these sort of tricks. And so there's these different methods you you establish to get out of it. One of which um, is the stacking method. Now the stacking method goes like this. A lot of times there'll be dishes that'll start to pile up over the sink. And so you'll just come and you'll just stack them nicely so that it looks like there's fewer 
dishes in the sink than there actually are. You, some of you know what I'm talking about. So you just kind of put all the plates, you know, together on top. You stack it so that it doesn't look like there's as many so you don't feel guilty, right? This is one. This is the stacking method. There's also what I call the minimalist method. Now, the minimalist method says there's too many dishes, uh, uh, dishes in the sink, so I'm just going to do the, the easiest ones, the plates, maybe a, a, a big pot, something that takes up a lot of room, but I don't have to do everything, every silver. See, we don't have a dishwasher at our house, so we have to do every fork, every knife by hand. And so when I get to the sink, I just do like one pot or two, you know, the ones that take up the most amount of space. So it brings the whole thing down, and then you can do the stack method, and then you're on your way. It's good. And then there's one other method that I, I typically employ. Uh, this one's my favorite. It's called the these need to soak method. <laughs> do you know what I'm talking You know what I'm talking about. Some of you do it. It's like, you know what? You get to the sink, you go, you know what? These are going to be so much easier to do if they just have a little time to soak. So I'm just going to fill it up, throw a whole bunch of, uh, of soap in it so it really bubbles over. It looks, it looks really good. And then, and then you walk away. And then I don't know what happens after that, but these definitely need a good soaking. I don't want to scrape that one. I, you get good at developing these tactics for uh, avoiding uh, doing the dishes. And like I said, I don't know what... Uh, it is, um, I don't know why, I mean, other chores are annoying, but it's, there's something about it that I just, I really uh, don't like. But every once in a while in our house, something weird happens. What happens is, is that my wife, Molly, she'll have a hard day, right? She'll have a day where nothing goes right, or she'll have a long evening where she gets home late, and I know her coming home and seeing dishes in the sink will just be one more reminder of everything she has on her plate. And in that moment, the dishes no longer become a chore to be avoided, right? At that moment, they actually become an opportunity to love the one who's loved me. And there's this weird things that happens when love enters the equation. All of a sudden, the things that you hate to do, you actually want to do. There's actually something in you that says, this is an opportunity I can do to love the person who loves me. You see, love does that. Whether it's your spouse, or a friend, or a parent, when love enters the equation, everything changes. Love makes you do weird things. This is your first fill-in. Love makes you do weird things. It changes your perspective. It flips, flips things on its head. What was a chore becomes a joy. What once was a chore becomes a joy. Love makes you do weird things. Now we're at the end of Hebrews. We've made it. We started uh, the first week of Advent in December 2016. We are now at the last chapter. Friends, we're at the sink. The dishes are here. We have learned throughout Hebrews all the incredible, amazing things of why Christ is superior, why Christ is wonderful, what Christ has done for us. And now we get to the dishes. The sink is here. And how are we going to approach this last chapter? 
You see, there are two motivations that we can divide anything into. They've studied this and they've determined that for humans, we basically have two primal motivations for doing anything and they categorize categorize it in two ways. One way is intrinsic. There is intrinsic motivation and this is motivation that comes from us, comes from within us. So this is the motivation I have when I do the dishes for my wife. I don't love it, but I love her. And so that love, that motivation comes from within me. There's no reward that's going to happen. I'm not going to get a sticker or a cookie or anything from it. Although that'd be great. Let's let's work on that. No, I'm not going to get anything for it, tangible. And I'm not scared she's going to, you know, do something to me if I don't. It's just something that comes from within. That's intrinsic motivation. It, It comes from within you. But there's another camp, and that's called extrinsic motivation. Extrinsic motivation is the exact opposite. This is motivation that we have that comes uh, from us, or not from us, but to us. It happens outside of us, and it comes at us, and we do something based on a, a, a stimuli or something that we are going to receive, whether it be a reward or the avoidance of punishment. Those are the two major camps with extrinsic Uh, motivation. Either we do something because somebody is going to give us something externally outside of ourselves, or we're scared of something, we're fearful of some sort of punishment, and so we'll do things in order to avoid that external thing that's going to happen. Now, my children obey me mostly out of external motivation right now. At their age, they mostly obey Molly and I based on a reward they're going to get, or a punishment they're going to avoid, if they're going to do it, which is a little dicey in our house every once in a while. We offer them a cookie, we offer them something in our house to get them to eat their vegetables. We do a a eat this than that. It's like, oh, you want some of this, you want more of this, well, you need to eat your broccoli, then you can have some more of that. That's an external motivation, an extrinsic motivation. They're looking for something that's coming from outside of themselves and that they are going to receive. Or, as our, if you remember us talking about the stairs, they want to avoid the timeouts. They want to avoid the disciplines and the things that happen to them externally, and so they'll change their behavior based on that. But every once in a while, particularly with Mia as she's getting older, every once in a while, as our relationship grows, as she begins to trust her father more, as she begins to love, her, her, her love for her father grows. Every once in a while, she'll obey me just because of who I am. I haven't promised her anything. I haven't threatened anything. And I ask her to do something and she just does it. And she comes and she gives me a hug. And you can tell she's just starting to get it. She's just, that switch in her head. And there, there's adolescent and there's child psychology that, that shows this and teaches it. That every once in a while there's a switch that happens. And you begin to be motivated not because of something that's going to happen to you or for you, but just because of the relationship itself. Just because. And every once in a while, we're starting to get pictures of it, and it's beautiful when it happens. You see, there are two ways, and there are always two ways for everything we do, for every behavior we do. There are always two ways. And when it comes to obeying our Heavenly Father, which of the two ways are you motivated by? Because there are always two ways, and that's your next fill-in. There's always two ways. See, extrinsic people 
can follow God in all sorts of different ways. And this can look in, in different ways, but like I said, fear and, motive and reward are t- tend to be the major two. Fear says this, I follow God because I'm scared of what he can do to me. This is the fire and brimstone and people get kind of scared into salvation. And the motivation comes again externally from them, but it's all fear-based. When I was about 12 years old, I remember having spiritual conversations with my dad. And this one conversation, I don't know why I remember it, but I I, I remember to this day, it's ingrained in my mind. And I remember we were sitting and we were having a conversation. I finally, I got to the point, 12-year-old Brian, I got to the point where I said, Dad, the only reason that I see to following Jesus is because I don't want to go to hell. That's what I said to him. I said, as I look at it, the only reason that we're doing this is to avoid hell. I remember he thought for a minute, and he, he kind of nodded, and he said, um, well, Brian, he said, for now, that's okay. For now, that's okay. But you're going to learn that it's way more than that. Because he knew I was still a kid. He knew I was still processing. That switch was happening between only understanding things for external reasons, and that, that transition was going to happen in which I really understood the desire to want to do something based on the internal, based on love, based on something from within me. And he said, keep pursuing it, and you'll get there. You see, for God, he desires for us to follow him because of internal reasons. He's a father that invites his children to come and sit on his lap and to say, obey me, not because of something I I can do for you, something that you want me to, you want to avoid me to do, but come and just sit in my lap because you want to, because you love me and I love you. There are always two ways. But there's also, like I said, these external reasons. One's fear, another one's reward. People follow God because they think they can get something from God. This was the whole problem of the older brother in the prodigal son story. The prodigal son wastes his inheritance, runs away with all of this wild living. He comes back and he is graciously, incredibly graciously received back to the father. And that does not fit the older brother's paradigm for what a relationship looks like with his father. Because in his mind, in his paradigm, you work, you do, and then you receive. And for externally motivated people when they're following God, that's the pattern that they follow. It's a legalistic, it's a religiosity sort of approach. It says do, and then you receive. Act, and then you're accepted. And so for the older brother, he sees his paradigm absolutely destroyed, absolutely shipped, and he's indignant. He doesn't even go into the party. Because his whole life he is related to his father as a means to an end and not the end itself. There are always two ways. But the pattern of the intrinsic person, the pattern of of a person who really knows God and loves God and is in relationship with God, knows that that pattern is actually the reverse. Because for the internal person, they say, you receive, you are accepted, you are given. And then out of that acceptance, out of that grace, out of that love, then you act. Out of the love I have for the person, I go and I do it. Not because of something I'm going to receive or something I'm going to avoid, but just because of the relationship itself. 
And as our relationship grows, and as we trust the Father, and as we rest in his love, something weird happens. We begin to follow, not because he promised something or he threatened something, but just because we love him. What once was a chore is now a joy. Love does that. See, there are two ways. And the way of love, this way of love, this internal way, is actually the entire narrative thread of the entire Bible. We see it again and again and again. The way of love is the story of the gospel. You are accepted, and then out of that acceptance you act. You are loved, and so you love. You are received, and so you receive and give. You are welcomed, and so you go out and welcome. The way of love is the story of the gospel. A few weeks ago, Mia was, wanted to go outside and play. It was a Sunday afternoon. I was exhausted. I was really tired. Uh, Micah was sleeping. I don't know where me, Molly was at the time. So it was just me and I sort of in the living room. And I was laying on the couch, and I got that heavy feeling. You know that heavy feeling you get? And you're like, oh, yeah, here it comes. I'm about to go under. This is good. It's that nice, relaxed feeling you get right, right before you go. And right as I was about to slip into that nice, happy place, I heard Mia go, Daddy, 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 can I go outside in the front yard and play? And I'm like, oh, sweetie, no, not right now. Daddy's got, he's got to sleep. You see, our backyard is fenced in. They can walk in and out of that anytime they want. But in the front yard with the road, and we've established with Mia, our MIA child, um, she will run. And so she has to be heavily monitored when she is outside. And so I was not, I didn't want to do it. I was tired. I was just like, Mia, no, not, Daddy's got to rest. Sorry, you can't, no. The answer is no. And I remember I kind of was drifting in again, and then I heard like this knock on the window from Mia. And I'm like, Mia, come on, you know, please, like, would you just let me, let me sleep? Would you please just uh, keep it down? And I, I, I kind of caught myself again. I tried to slip back in, and then I heard Mia like yelling through the window. And all I heard was, I can't come out! My dad said I can't come out! No, I can't do it. And I was like, oh, okay, what is this? And I opened up my eyes and I looked out our big windows in the front and I saw that like 10 neighborhood kids had gotten together and having a, a water fight in our front yard. <laughs> and the picture I have as I sit up is Mia at the windows, like fully at the windows, staring at this wonderful, fun, incredible thing happening outside. And she's yelling at the kids, I can't come out, my dad won't let me. Dad of the year right here. <laughs> and in that minute, moment, I realized that my rule, the standard I had set, didn't match the reality of what was going on. That what I wanted and what Mia wanted, uh, that I could submit to that. That I could say, you know what? I'm choosing this rule out of my own selfish ambitions. That looks awesome out there. We need to go out and have a good time. And the rule didn't match the reality. The rule didn't match the relationship I had with her. It was, it was an overbearing rule. And by his grace, our Father in heaven doesn't do that. He doesn't create rules for his own pleasure. He, didn't, he doesn't create rules just to go on a power trip and just to show how, how cool he is or just for his own amusement, like we're puppets in his, in his play. 
every one of God's laws, every one of God's rules always follows his love and displays his love. It always follows his love. Like we talked about before, we are loved and then the rules come. We are accepted and then God gives us the standard by which we live. So the rules always follow love, but they also always display love. I want us to notice that acceptance action rhythm throughout the scripture. So if you would, if you have your Bibles, let's just flip to a couple passages real quick here as we see it. Flip over first to Exodus chapter 20. We'll start off way at the beginning here with one of the most common, most people, even if you're a Christian or not, would understand this. This is the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20. Famous set of commands that God gives his people, something that most people would generally know even if they don't go to church, don't follow God at all. They would, they'd be familiar with at least some of the Ten Commandments. But I want you to notice this acceptance, then action rhythm that happens, this way of love that happens. Exodus 20 in verse 1, it says this, And God spoke all these words. Notice what he says first. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now let me give you the Ten Commandments. Notice the rhythm. I loved you. I am your God. I brought you out of slavery. I rescued you. I, I pulled you out. I love you. Now let's set some rules. Now let me show you how to live better. But the rhythm is always there. Love, acceptance, then action. Flip a few uh, books to the right. Joshua 24, right at the end of Joshua. Joshua has done these incredible things. God has been so faithful to them. He has led the Israelites into his land, into the promised land, and has uh, pushed out all sorts of enemies that they had no business defeating. In fact, the first part of, of Joshua 24 is him describing in a pretty long narrative everything that God has done for them since entering the promised land. All the people they defeated, all the lands they took, all the gracious love that God has bestowed upon them. And in Joshua 24, verse 13, it says this. It finalizes this whole narrative by saying, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. I gave you these things and you lived in them and you eat from them, uh, from the vineyards and the olive groves that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him with faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors, your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living, which I love that little backhanded thing. Remember the one I just pushed out? You want to go follow them? Go for it. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Look at all I have given for you. Look at all I have bestowed upon you. Look at the love I have lavishly poured upon you. Now because of all of that reality, go and do. Serve me. I am your Lord. Let's look at a couple of New Testament ones. Romans chapter 12. 
This is a classic one. Most epistles are broken up into two different sections. One, the first part is always a, um, is always a, a, a description, an instruction of what God has done for you, your identity, what he has accomplished, who you are in Christ. Romans 1 through 11 is all about God rescuing you and ransoming you and, and, and shedding his blood on the cross. It's, it's this big theological book about what God has done for you. And then you hit chapter 12 and it says, therefore, therefore, based on everything we've just established, therefore, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A couple books to the right, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is all about your identity, who you are in Christ. We've walked through Ephesians as a sermon series he before, and it's just over and over again is telling you who you are. You're adopted. You are loved. You're predestined. All of these things that God has done for you. And so it goes three chapters long of everything that God is for you. And then you hit chapter four, and it says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, then, because of the last three chapters, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Because of that, I am, I am therefore a prisoner and I'm going to live in accordance with the life worthy that I have received so graciously. Therefore, act. Colossians, again, uh, just to the right a bit. Colossians 3, verse 1. Again, two chapters of everything that God has done for you, all the love he's disposed on you, all the things that he has done despite anything you've done. And it says, since you have been raised with Christ, since you have been raised by Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. Since you have, therefore, then, because of this reality of the way of love, the rhythm, the pattern of love that says you are accepted and then you act. Because of all of these things, we have an internal and intrinsic desire to love God and to obey him. And then we hit Hebrews. And since Advent, we have heard time and time again the incredible superiority of Christ and his love for us. Chapter 1, that which was far off has been made known to us. Chapter 2, we have been freed from a life of slavery. Chapters 3 and 4, we have been given the ultimate rest of God. Chapters 5 and 7, just like Melchizedek, Christ sacrificed himself once and for all to pay our debt. Chapter 6, his promise is so true, we have full confidence in it. Chapter 8, our sin is forgiven given, he will remember it no more. Chapter 9, Christ has died as a ransom to set us free. Chapter 10, we do not throw away our confidence because it's been richly rewarded. Chapter 11, by faith God has something better for us. Chapter 12, we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Chapter 13, therefore, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters because God loves you beyond measure. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers because God let you in. Continue to remember those in prison as if they were together with them in prison because you were a prisoner and God set you free. 
Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept here because Christ is the bridegroom who is totally dedicated, committed, and pledged to you. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Friends, there are two ways. And how we approach God our perspective on who he is, how we relate to him, will change everything. So which one are you? I want to invite the band up as we finish up. A good friend of mine once asked me a question that still rattles in my head today. He asked me, hey Brian, do you rest with God or do you rest from God? Do you rest with God or do you rest from God? And the reason, and the question really gets at, how do you relate to God? Is God the, the, the means to an end or is God the end? Do you do everything for God and then when you're done, oh, I need a break, and you break from him? Or is God everything? And so you, when, you're, when you're working for the Lord, you also rest with God in, in, in the same time. This question is lasting power for me because I face the reality that I rest from God. That I'm the older brother. That I'm still the 12-year-old kid who just doesn't want to go to hell. And I was faced with the reality, and that question has still buzzed around in my head for a long time. I'm the good pastor's son who just does what he does and, and fills, fills the pulpit when he can and just makes sure God's happy with me to avoid something or to receive something. And for a while, I, have, I, I had to embrace that and come to the reality that my motivation was off. There were two ways, but I was choosing the other one. And slowly, as I have begun to embrace God, not as a boss, but as a father, a bridegroom, a friend, everything has changed. See, there are two ways. Which one will you choose? Because we're at the end of Hebrews. The sink is full. The dishes are piled high. And how we approach this sink, how we approach this last chapter will largely, it will largely depend on how we view God himself. Is he your boss? Is he the one you work for? Is he the one you please? Is he the one you do to tiptoe around to make sure that he, you're keeping him happy? Or is God your father? Is God someone you love with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, so the prospect of doing the dishes isn't so bad? Because I want to love the one who loved me first, who while I was still yet a sinner, died for me. And so I will love my brothers and sisters, and I will show hospitality, and I will welcome people in. I will honor my marriage I will not let the love of money control me and drive me because someone loves me way more than that and has satisfied everything I need.
I approach the sink with grace and with confidence. It's an opportunity for joy, not a chore to be avoided. Friends, may you join me at the sink. May we live together as a community that loves one another, that cares about those in need who are sick, who are imprisoned, who are, uh, have been mistreated. May we honor our marriages. May we celebrate them here. May we give generously. May we give extravagantly because money doesn't hold us in. Because he will never leave us and he'll never forsake us. May we see God as a father. And may we see the dishes with joy. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for everything you've done, Lord. As we have just unpacked Hebrews week after week, we are blown away, God, by what you have done for us. So may this, may this be our response. May we respond to you not out of fear and not out of reward, God, but may we respond to you, God, because of love. May we respond to you just because of who we are. And what was a chore, God, may it be a joy because we're loving the one who loves us. And may we see that everything you've asked us to do is not only followed by love, but displays your love. We were once imprisoned. We were once not mistreated. We were once bound, and you set us free, and you released us, and you loved us, and then you say, now you go do it too. So we embrace this rhythm of love. We embrace this way. And we'll love you every step of the way, God. Help us with our unbelief. In your name I pray, amen.